Okay. It's on. It's on. That's all right. Is it on? Yeah, it is on. Okay, yeah, well, it's great to, great to be back here. And, uh, yeah, we had a good two years here, basically, as we sat here worshiping this morning. It reminded me of two good years. And uh, they say no church is perfect. Well, I'm sure this one isn't. But it was pretty perfect for us, really, wasn't it, for two years? We never got right into the nitty-gritty of it because we knew we, it was only a temporary thing. But um, we're so grateful about our time here and so grateful to be part of like a bigger family. Things are going fine in Lascard. That doesn't mean stop praying, please, because uh, it's a continual battle. It's hard work, you know, just when things are good. I think as last time I was here, John Turney said, it's a land of milk and honey. But there's a lot of battles and a lot of fights and a lot of things to be fought. So, um, but yeah, generally the, the sta- stage is moving forward. Um, we're seeing some wonderful and beautiful things happen there. Uh, we love having you over. Sometimes people from this church come over on a Sunday afternoon or whatever, and it's just great. It, it, it just creates, a, increases a sense of buzz and so on. And um, if you come this afternoon, you get the same sermon, so I'm just warning you that. <laughs> but, uh, okay, let's pray. Father God, we pray as we look at Mary that um, we'll see, Lord, just how extraordinary her life was, and yet, in one sense, how all of our lives should be pretty extraordinary. Um, there's a sense in which she's ordinary and we're ordinary, Lord. And I pray, oh God, that you'd minister to us from your word this morning. Lord, plant things in us, Lord. Plant new beginnings, new seeds, or whatever you want to do in our lives, we pray. You'll use your word today to, to bring change, Lord, for good in each and every one of us. Amen. Well, looking at the life of Mary, um, she's a controversial figure. And it's a shame, really, because she shouldn't be controversial. She didn't do anything wrong. And neither did God do anything wrong. But because she was so unique and so amazing in in carrying, literally, the baby Jesus and bringing him up, um, in some circles, she's been elevated to almost, um, well, to almost sinless. And uh, pushed up too high, even though we can learn an awful lot from her life, as we'll see today. And because of that, other circles have pushed her too far down for fear of looking Catholic or whatever it is. And so, you know, it, it, I've been in churches 15 years and never heard one sermon on Mary because probably we can't talk about Mary. It's a taboo subject. They'll think we're worshiping her or something. Well, today, hopefully, we'll see that uh, we can learn so much from her that she was incredibly ordinary. She wasn't sinless. I now only found out this week that the Immaculate Conception, what it actually meant. It meant that Mary was immaculately conceived and sinless. I didn't realize that. But she wasn't. You'll see in her song, she cries out to God, her Savior. Well, if she was sinless, she wouldn't need a Savior, would she? So we recognize that Mary is really special. We will see that she is favored. She is highly blessed. But she is human. Okay? And uh, just like us, we'll be amazed at how similar... We are to her. And I hope we'll be encouraged today and that we'll see that we too are favored. We too are blessed amongst all people. And yet we'll see, like Mary, that doesn't mean a pain-free life, okay? We're going to see a lot in her life. Well, first of all, I'm going to read uh, quite a chunk of scripture. It's from Luke 1.26. It's coming up here. Um, I know you've been reading the whole Bible, I think, in the church, so quite a long scripture will be no problem this morning. Okay. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, 
the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said or sang, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Well, the first thing I want us to just get hold of with Mary is that she was chosen. She was chosen. Why Mary? I don't know why Mary. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that in a minute. But first of all, she was chosen. God chose her. You know, you're chosen too, but God chose her. Out of all people, for the angel Gabriel to visit and say, you're going to be the one who's going to carry the Son of the Most High. I mean, incredible. She was chosen. Um, she was chosen to carry Jesus, and, and so were we. And she was chosen to be really blessed and to be a blessing to others, and so were we. And so right away, we see so many similarities between Mary and us. You see, God says to us, he says, you know, you are a chosen generation, royal priesthood. I mean, this is pretty cool, isn't it? You, me, chosen royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. In John 15, Jesus said, I have chosen you and appointed you, not just Mary, appointed you to bear fruit and fruit that will last. Why was Mary chosen? Why were you chosen? Do you ever wonder that sometimes? Why did God choose me? Because theologians have wondered this stuff for centuries. I'm not going to get too much into it, the whole thing about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. You know, how much do we choose God? How much does God choose us? People argue about that stuff a lot. Personally, I think it's a two-way street with God being the major player, okay? But I think it's a, something of a two-way street. But make no mistake, the sovereignty of God is, is massive, as we'll see in Mary's life. 
You know, we've been doing a series in Liscard on encounters with God. And it's interesting. You know, some of these people that encounter God, like Saul, like the woman at the well, they weren't looking for God the day they set off in the morning. In fact, Saul was going off to persecute God. But God just broke into their lives. And so we would see the sovereignty of God so clearly displayed. And yet we see other people like Nicodemus who searches out God in the middle of the night. There's a hunger in him. He's looking for God. So we see both. So even the Bible doesn't make it that clear. But why Mary? Was there anything about her that meant that God chose her? Was there anything about you that meant God chose you? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because right away, there's a part of us that goes, no way. The Bible says, you know, there's nothing good about us, lest anybody should boast, you know. It's entirely by grace, salvation by grace. And it is, and we know that. But on the other hand, we see Mary described as um, humble. We see her as a, a girl, if you like, in that passage who just repeatedly says, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant, whatever. It's scary, yeah, but I'm the Lord's servant. So you see a woman who is just laid, surrendered before God. Is there anything that we do that, that increases sometimes the chance of God moving powerfully in our lives? The theologians will argue this stuff. But you know, there is a verse that says this. It says, the eyes of the Lord look throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him in order that he might strengthen them. That's quite amazing, isn't it? God is looking all the time throughout the earth. Is there anybody out there who's actually surrendered to me that I can just pour into? I want to, but I'm looking for people who are surrendered. I believe Mary was a person like that. I don't want to go into the whole argument that somehow she deserved this favor from God because that would sort of be unbiblical, but I do believe that she was well-positioned for blessing, if you like. And I believe we too can be people who by our lifestyle and what we do and how we live and our prayer times and our, our, our surrender to God can be better positioned, if you like, to see God and not miss what he's doing. Jesus said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. In her, in her song, you know, her humility comes through and she says he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. But at the same time, there's another reason why she was chosen. And why the pool was narrowed down quite a bit. Because it had to be a descendant of David. And Joseph, who she was pledged to be married to, was just that. And so the prophecies about the forthcoming Savior were going to be fulfilled in Mary. Now, she wasn't the only descendant, of course, of David or married to the only descendant. But it certainly narrowed down the pool a little bit. Well, Mary was chosen. And some of the statements over her were incredible, weren't they? About how being, she would be blessed amongst all women, that she was to be highly favored. The Lord has found favor with you. He will be with you. But aren't those promises true for all of you as well? And for us, it's incredible. Why were you chosen? It's amazing, isn't it? Do any of you think you were chosen because there was something special about you? Probably not, eh? You know, we're fully aware, aren't we? It says in the Bible that God has chosen those who were poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith. Now, I don't believe that means just physically poor, although that is often the case. But some of us are emotionally poor. We've grown up with maybe one parent, maybe no parents. 
Some of us are emotionally poor in terms of just the way we were brought up and all sorts of things. I don't think it's just physically poor, but some of us don't have something that most people have. We were, we were less blessed than others, if you like, in the riches that were generally given out in the world. And yet he's chosen often the people who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith. It also says that, um, Paul says in Romans, when you were called, when you were chosen, not many of you, not meaning none, but I'm looking around this room today, not many of you, he says, were wise by the standards of the world. Anybody here a university professor or something? I don't know. There will be some, but not many of you, he says, are wise by the standards of the world. Not many of you were influential. Anybody here an MP or a, I don't know, some influential figure in our society? Not many, is there? Not many of you were of noble birth. Any dukes, duchesses? Even greater here? Not many. Not many of you were wise by the standards of the world. Not many of you were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He uses ordinary people. You know, he chose Mary. Incredible, isn't it? Humble servant, I mean, a rural sort of peasant girl. Young teenager to carry Jesus. I asked my wife this morning, I said, Roman, if you were God and the Savior hadn't been born yet and you were choosing a female out of the whole universe now, for that role, who would you choose? I mean, my wife's far better than me. Because I was thinking strategically. Well, I would think a, a good Christian, yes, obviously. But someone of influence. Someone who could, a bit like Moses in the palace in a way, but this sense where if they were influential and wealthy, that could be used for the furtherance of the kingdom. Romans said, no, no, I wouldn't do that. I would just want someone who's really loving and gentle. I would look after the child really well. She's much more godly than me in her thinking. But you see what I'm saying? It, the, 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 the obvious strategy would, yes, have a godly person, but a powerful godly person, an influential godly person, a very intelligent godly person. There's nothing to su- suggest that Mary was any of them, and many of us may not be any of them. Who's, who's God used to, to spearhead light and life? John Tarney, a farm. Nothing wrong with farmers, but it's a farmer. You know, who's he using in this guard to be a pastor? Me. I, I was a mistake, you know, in, in, in human terms, but not in God's terms. Just ordinary people, though. That's the point. Builders, window cleaners, farmers, whatever it is. And so it is. And it's interesting because that verse goes on to say, so that no one could boast before him. Otherwise, there'd be a bit of a danger, wouldn't there? God chose me because I'm very intelligent. <laughs> I'm very influential. People listen to me. And I'm noble. It was funny when I having Nick Cuthbert. Uh, is it Nick Cuthbert? That's right, speak to us. Mid-sermon, mid, mid suddenly turn around and say, I am a canon in the Church of England. <laughs> and that is very impressive, he said. It was very funny. He wasn't being serious, of course. Well, who knows why we're chosen? Who knows why Mary was chosen? It is a mystery of God. We may never know. But one thing I would say is rejoice in your chosenness. It's something to be thrilled about, isn't it? Yeah, every boys or men, you know, used to play football at school in the, in the, in the primary school, and they pick teams, don't they? Come on, let's pick sides. Oh, boy. If you're a first one up, it's fantastic, isn't it? 
two captains, I'll have Mark. And you, you walk up with your chest right out, I was chosen first. But what, what about the other extreme, when you're the last one? When maybe you're the six-year-old and everybody else is 11, you know. And, oh, I'll have Mark. You know, it's horrible, isn't it? The difference between those two experiences, that thrill of being chosen. What about women, you know, when, when you get that moment, you've either had it or, or not had it or whatever, but where, and hopefully by a man that you love, but, but a man who loves you and, he's, and he chooses you and says, will you be my wife? Will, I'm choosing you, of all women. I mean, I'm not doing men, uh, you know, we're not God's gift, what I'm trying to get at. But still, there must be something special for a woman to just, particularly if you love that man, that he just says, will you, will you please be my wife? I'm down on one knee. I, I beg you. Chosenness is very special. And we are chosen by God. Why? We will never know. I remember just before the Falklands War, the... Um, Parachute regiment on telly. They were literally choosing the soldiers to go and fight. I mean, you'd think, wouldn't you, that some of them would be, I haven't had to go. They were furious, the ones who didn't get chosen. They had trained hard. They, they were wanting to go, and they got the register read out, and some were on the list, and some weren't. The ones that weren't chosen were, were devastated. But let's rejoice in our chosenness, like Mary, but recognize that our salvation and our calling or a gift from God so that none of us can boast. Well, as we move on um, to those early stages of Mary's life, just a few little bits about those early stages before we move on to the, uh, the later stages, certainly, of Jesus' life. We see a game with Elizabeth that when Mary goes to visit her, Elizabeth prophesies. She gets very excited. In a loud voice, she exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But you also see her her humility immediately come through. Elizabeth goes, but why? Why me? This sense of chosenness. Why Why? Why has the mother of my Savior come to me? She's rejoicing again in humility about her chosenness. But if you look just back a chapter... It it describes Elizabeth and Zechariah like this. It says they were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. See what I mean? I'm sure they weren't perfect, but their life was one of uprightness, looking to be surrendered and obedient and trusting of God. Is it a surprise that an angel visited them too? Then you, you look at Simeon. He was described, amongst other things, as righteous and devout. These are good descriptions, aren't they? Are you today described as, not by yourself or maybe by, you know, some people who may have an agenda against you, but amongst those who are fair and just in their observations, would would they say about you? He, He is righteous and devout. Would they say that they're upright in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commandments? I don't want anybody to be condemned, by the way. Uh, there's grace for everybody. We're all imperfect. We're all works in progress. But you see what I'm saying? We can look at some of these people, and that's how they were described. And the same with Simeon. And so, talking about this thing again, about being positioned for blessing, is it any coincidence that Simeon was described like that? Most of Israel were, were not really looking for the Messiah. 
or they were, but in a, in a twisted way. But there's Simeon. And it had been revealed to him, not everybody else, but it had been revealed to him. He wasn't missing out what God's plan was. He was seeing what the Father was doing. It had been revealed to him that he would not die before the Messiah came. What a great revelation, eh? And then moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts just in time for the dedication of Jesus. How cool is that? Okay, so number one, he gets the revelation because of his closeness to God. It's great that Becky started the service by saying, draw near to God and I'll draw near to you. Here we're seeing it, the evidence of it in scriptural examples. This closeness to God of Elizabeth, of Mary, and then Simeon, that Simeon didn't miss things that many people would have missed through their lack of closeness. What, what an inspiration and a challenge to us as well, isn't it? To just be in that place of intimacy with God <clears throat> to seek out those times to just wait at his feet. And I believe as we do that, and we do that more, it's a lifetime of learning to do it, but that we will see more. We won't be missing out on some of the opportunities and things that come our way. And so Simeon, too, prophesies to Mary. He says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the first time Mary gets a bit of a, uh, a challenging word as opposed to just you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. I mean, how blessed was she? Come on, bring it up. The son of God. Any of you had children? Have you ever noticed that naturally they aren't good? <laughs> Even if you haven't had children, you've probably noticed that. All of us conceived, the Bible says, in sin. I mean, it doesn't take long before they start blurting out, I want this, I want that. It's not fair. Why's he got that? And our experience, he's a lovely boy, but our experience is that generally we fight the flesh with glimpses of redemption. Okay? So the other morning, <clears throat> being a little bit naughty, and uh, first thing in the morning, without prompting, I'm sorry, Daddy. Or how I was last night. It's beautiful. Uh, but I tell you, that's a glimpse. <laughs> All right? Often, it's the opposite. And you know that well. You know in your own life. You're fighting the flesh with, with, with yourself. <clears throat> Imagine Mary with Jesus. This is why she's more blessed amongst all women. Jesus, would you clean your room? Certainly, mum. <laughs> Jesus, I'm sorry that all your friends have got better clothes than you. But uh, that's no problem, though. I don't, I don't find my significance in that. <laughs> I mean, it's almost unbelievable, isn't it, to us? Imagine this. Mary just bringing up this child. I met a guy in the supermarket the other day, and I was talking to him along these lines. He's a pastor of another church, and he had his little boy in the trolley. And then he said, what did I come in the supermarket for? I said, see, if you had Jesus, he'd tell you now. <laughs> Instead of the son looking there like, yeah, I can't remember dad either. So, so quite amazing. And yet, there's this sense now where Simon is saying, this guy is so amazing that because of his purity, because of his righteousness, because of his message, he's going to divide people. Some are going to get risen. Some are going to get put down. Just like the Bible said, God opposes the grace, uh, opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Those who look to humble themselves will be lifted up, and those who look to lift themselves up will be humbled. And so she's saying, this is what God's going to do. This is what this boy's going to do. 
He's going to cause money to go up and money to go down. He'll be spoken against. People will hate him because of nothing other than the fact that he speaks truth and he speaks love and he speaks kindness. People don't always like you for that, do they? But she says, a, a, a sword, or he said, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Well, we'll come on to that in a minute. But then the early life, we see this perfect child in the temple at 12, already pretty much preaching. Again, you know, what a blessing. My child took him to the temple, knew everything, knew the lot. You know, it's, it's amazing. We can't comprehend what it could be like. And I think that sense of, in the right way, that pride of Mary over her son is seen when that first miracle comes in the, the, the wedding at Cana. You know, and they run out of wine. And his mum... They run out of wine, Jesus. You know, you can imagine. You, you can sort it out. I mean, what mum just turns around to her son and goes, they've run out of wine. In other words, you're the answer. And, you know, maybe that's the point where Jesus goes, even himself is fighting that knowledge that is now coming. He's had a great life, maybe, but now his three years of ministry ending in what he knew he came to do, which is to die a horrible death for the likes of me and you. And he's going, my, my time's not yet, is it? And I love her response. Just do what he says. Just do what he tells you. Isn't that a proud mum? Whatever he says, just do it. What, what a blessing that Mary, Mary had. And so it starts. The ministry starts. But now you see this, this sword that's going to pierce her soul begins to happen. And it'll, it's been happening and it is happening for some of you. You know, Generally, we live in favor. Well, in fact, we never stop living in favor. We never stop living in blessing. But does it mean cost-free living? No, it doesn't. And the sword begins to pierce her as she watches her son now enter ministry. And there are those that love him and follow him. And no doubt that causes her great rejoicing. But those that hate him, criticize him, stand against him, oppose him, and they're looking to basically get him killed. He's so busy now. There's times recorded in the scriptures where she goes to see him and it's like all so hectic and busy. She can't get a look in. She's realizing she's losing, in a sense, her son. The battles, the accusations, and obviously everything culminating in the cross. You see, she had to take up her cross in following Jesus to the cross. And uh, in a sense, that's just like us. The Bible says... Take up your cross and follow me. The good news is, is it says, he who looks to lose his life will find it. And he who looks to keep hold of life will lose it. And, you know, we know that experience. I know that experience. I chased life before I became a Christian in the parties, in the women, in the drugs, whatever it was. Found no life whatsoever. Found only death. And then I, Jesus comes into my life and I find life. I suddenly begin to stop living for me, living for him, and find that it's the most joyful place you can possibly be. The most surrendered life, and I'm not saying I'm the most surrendered person, but the most surrendered life is the most free person, the most joyful person, the most liberated person, the most peaceful person. And Jesus is just saying, just die to yourself and you'll find, find life. Sometimes it's our very intimacy with Jesus, like Mary, that causes the biggest pain. When you love someone intimately, yes, the blessing is there, but isn't the pain there when something goes wrong? I remember, you know, once I was invited to go on holiday with some people, and the, the invitation was, you know, you're welcome to come, but, but leave Jimmy Jesus behind, you know. I didn't go. You know? 
when Jesus is united, I won't come. But it's, it's that thing. It doesn't always produce, your intimacy with God doesn't always produce um, pain-free life. Well, Mary knew it actually from the very beginning. She was obviously ostracized when she was pregnant without being wed. She nearly lost her fiancé, so she got a glimpse of it in the early years. And I guess, you know, it, it, for us today, it's just the same, isn't it? You know, when we started lighting life in Liscard, it, it wasn't everybody's cup of tea. Most people, why do we need another church in Liscard, you know? People have warmed to us. Generally, relations are good. But sometimes there was pretty nasty stuff said, you know, just by trying to um, follow God in Liscard. Well, as we look at now Mary... And we're going to see a little clip now, but you can imagine this thing rising just before the end, just before the cross. And we're, we're going to take communion in a minute. It's quite appropriate. But you'll see something now. Because I believe nowhere and in no one's life do we see this almost, if you like, bittersweet thing in our relationship with Jesus Christ than in the life of Mary. She's watched him now for three years in ministry. And she knows where it's ending up. But it's one thing to know where it's ending up and another thing to actually watch your own son be accused falsely, be persecuted falsely, and then ultimately uh, treated in the most incredibly bad way. Your own son, the guy that you've brought up as a loving parent. We'll just watch this clip from The Passion of the Christ. That clip is, and... Um, You know, just, well, it's, it, 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 it's going to touch people's hearts. But what I want to say is what you see there in Mary, it, it, it's the same for all of us in a way. There are just these moments where just by sheerly following God, we, we face pain. It may not be as painful as seeing that happen to your son. But there are people seeing that happen to their sons, Christians in, in the world even now, or to their mothers or to their brothers or to their sisters. But, you know, the good thing is it, it ends well. Three days later, Jesus rises from the grave. Just three days later, Mary is like, wow, my son. And you know, there was a touching thing on the cross even before he rose again. I love this. You'll see it in the account of the cross where Jesus says, he looks down at John and Mary, and he says, this now is your son. This now is your mother. In other words, he's handing his mother over to be looked after and look after as a joint thing by John. It's very, very touching. But three days later, he, he's risen again, and um, you know, different church uh, denominations historically. Some believe that Mary was assumed that she went to heaven without ever dying, like Elijah, whatever. I, I, the Bible doesn't seem to say it. No idea. It doesn't matter. The point is, she died one day, or she left this earth one day, and she's gone to be with that son that she carried. It's fantastic. What a Happy ever after story. Kids love happy ever after stories. We've got the best one. And what I want to encourage people with today, if you're going through that, that time of the minute where you're experiencing, if you like, the sword piercing your soul more than just, I'm so favored, I'm so blessed, then just to encourage you this morning that it ends well. It ends well for every one of us. Well, let's just finish by saying this. We recognize that in some ways Mary was unique. And we recognize that we can be in danger of elevating her above humankind just because of her uniqueness. We don't need to do that. But we can recognize that she was blessed amongst women. We, we can 
suggests, but not totally confirmed from Scripture, that those who, if you like, live surrendered lives are more likely to see amazing things of God happen in their lives. And that can encourage and challenge us. She was chosen. We are chosen. She was chosen to carry Jesus. We carry Jesus. Jesus lives in us. It's amazing, isn't it? And she was chosen to have uh, be part of God's plan for mankind. And so are you. It was great to hear Beth just say about the toddlers thing this morning. Classic example of where that Jesus that she's carrying is leading her to be a blessing to the world in which we live. There will be costs. There will be pain. We will sometimes be ostracized. But it all ends happily ever after. Well, we're going to take uh, communion now. And um, I'm just going to do it fairly informally, really. And we've got to shoot off, by the way, fairly soon. I don't think we're being rude. But um, I just, you know, when you see that clip, there's been nothing better to really prepare us for communion. That when Jesus said, you know, this is my body broken for you. There we saw it. Absolutely bashed to pieces. This is my blood poured out for you. This is the wine this is the bread that we take. Do this in remembrance of me. And the remembrance is two-way. He says, do it in remembrance of obviously that, that we can meditate on his sufferings and be encouraged by it and recognize that what he did was for us and to bless us, to bring about our wholeness and our cleansing from our sin. That is what brought our forgiveness and what established us as a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. So he says, take communion in remembrance of what I did. But he also says, do it in remembrance of the fact that I'm coming back. Keep doing it until I return. He's coming back. That's the happy ever after. Some of us will be up there before he comes back. That's the happy ever after. And so as we take communion today, I'm just going to pray. And I think, um, is it, uh, yeah, a couple of people there to minister. And I think the, the way is to come down the center aisle and go back through the side aisles just for a bit of uh, ease of flow and so on. But I'm going to pray and I'll just invite people really to come either by yourself or with your family or whatever and the band will play just have a time of contemplative meditation on the suffering of Jesus Christ and how Mary probably more than anyone knew what Paul said when he said I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And there's blessing even in the pain. We sing a song, don't we? In the blessing, in the pain. The two aren't mutually exclusive. Some of our most blessed times are in the times of biggest trial. So may the Lord do with you during communion in the Holy Spirit, whatever he needs to do for you right now. Father God, we thank you that you chose Mary. We thank you, Lord, that because of her obedience. Maybe you'd have found somebody else, but the point is she willingly went along with your plan for her life. And as a result, we are blessed in many similar ways to her. And I pray, oh God, that we would be people over the weeks and months ahead who can live our lives in a surrendered way where we position ourselves to see more and to be able to obey more of what your very best is for our lives. Not the second and third and fifth best. But we want the very best, oh God. 
We thank you that you gave us your very best at the cross. You gave everything up for us. We're humbled by it, Lord, that you would die in our place. As we said, we don't know why. We don't deserve it. There's nothing fancy about us, oh God, but you just reached into our lives, broke in and chose us, and we're so highly favored, and we're so highly blessed without even deserving it. Thank you for your grace, Lord Jesus. And I invite you now, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, just to minister to us and continue ministering to us as we share in the symbols of your blood that was shed for us to cleanse us from our sin and your body that was broken for us, the bread. You're the bread of life. That your brokenness is the very thing that brings us wholeness. Thank you, Lord Jesus.